Welcome to Season 2 from A Lancashire Lass with me, Lucy Baxter. Joining me today is Mark Acethorpe, the chef patron at Bull's Head Hollymoreside in the Peak District. We're going to be chatting all about being a chef, the food mark makes but also as it's cf week and it's where yellow day we'll be chatting about life with cystic fibrosis as both mark and i have cf so mark welcome to the podcast how are you today i'm good thank you yourself yeah i'm really good so first of all take me back to when you were younger did you always want to be a chef have you always loved food and cooking yeah, so I, I, could, I wanted to be a chef as long as I can remember. So my mum used to have a bakery. And then when I was born, she gave up the bakery to look after me with myself and stuff. So I kind of, and then she realised that she, she she made like a kitchen at home. Um, and she used to do wedding cakes and stuff like that from home. So I kind of got brought up around like wedding cakes and cooking and all that kind of stuff. And then my auntie used to have village pub and restaurant as well. So like I used to go down there on a Saturday morning and like, help out and that kind of stuff so I've always been around it so I've always I've always always wanted to be a chef since I was like as little as I can remember and you'd always used to like lick the spatula then if you if your mum was always making like wedding cakes never did such a thing <laughs> so how did you like train and become a chef like what was that journey like so for my the way I got into it well I was really lucky my local catering college is probably one of the best in the country to be fair and they used to do something called uh, junior chefs so it was like an after-school club. You could go from that from being like year seven to year 10 or something. So I kind of started doing that. I got my foot through the door. And then the lady that taught that was the exec head chef at University of Sheffield. So she was great. She did loads of stuff with us. And then I kind of realised that if she was really clever at school, you got shoved into your GCSEs. If you didn't try at school, my school was very good at saying, what would you like to do? So when I was in year nine, any options, yeah, I just like just messed about to be fair. Oh yeah. And then school let me do um, my chefing when I was in year 10 and 11. So by the time I finished year 11, I'd finished my level two. So I was like two thirds qualified by the time I left school. So I did that. And then when I got into doing my level three, I got offered a job in London. I moved to London. West history. Yeah. So what I was it? Apprentice in London. I was good. What was it like to live in London and like be a chef in that kind of city, but like capital city? Mental, absolutely mental. Like 17, living on my own in London. It was awesome. I loved yeah. it. I loved, I loved it. I don't think I couldn't do it now, but like I loved it. I used to do five days a week and I used to do 18 hours a day. Whoa. Sometimes 20 hours a day. I used to love it. Honestly, people like you're mental to do that. But honestly, I generally loved every minute of it. Um, the only things that was a bit rubbish for me is I used to have to come home quite a lot for IVs and stuff for my CF um, so I kind of put a bit of a nag on it and then I did about oh, I did four years in London and I came back and I was in a hospital and I thought you know what I don't need this anymore um, so I, I handed my notice in and then I realised there was not really many good places to work where I was from so I ended up back down that way I worked at somewhere called Clyburn House Mm-hmm. So it's just outside of Reading, but it's a bit more, it's like in the countryside, it's a bit more chill vibe, if you know what I mean. So yeah. I about, and then I came back up here when I was 24, 25, got my own place. So 
in terms of like when you were a child what was the first thing you can remember cooking that you were like you were either good at or you enjoyed cooking I follow the cakes and stuff with my mum to the far. And I mean, like, my mum's a very baker, so, like, I can remember making, I I can remember making, like, lemon drizzle cakes and stuff, cakey stuff, scones, cakes, that kind of stuff. I can remember as well, my first fascination with cakes was, I can remember it was making something like a tomato or something, and it got booze in it, and I was like, wow, this is very cool. You get to eat, and, like, you can put food and booze together, and that was like, that's quite cool. I was probably a bit too young to do that, um, but yeah, probably cakes, cakes and stuff with my mum. I can't believe you just called a scone a scone. That sounded so unnatural. It's a scone. What do you call it? A scone. What's a scone? <laughs> <laughs> or is it a tea cake or is it a roll or is it a bap? I know it gets into that territory, doesn't it, of like regions and counties. Oh, yeah, where, where is it around you? In Lancashire. Oh, I'd, I'm gonna, I call it like what, like a bun. Like, if, is that what you say? Or what, what? Yeah, like if you're having a sandwich and it's on like a, a round piece of bread, what would you call that? Either a roll or a bun. Oh, that's a bread cake round us. You see, I think that potentially that might cause issues because I don't know what the actual Lancashire thing is. But yeah, no, people call it like tea cakes and balms, don't they? But I just call it a bun, a bread bun. I'm Sheffield. Sheffield is, is bread cake. But where I live now in the restaurant is in Derbyshire, Peak District. And it's literally like 20 minutes drive from here. And when I came here, they call it um, a cob. Oh. I've never heard of a cob before. A crusty cob. I've heard of that in a like a recipe book, but yeah. that's good. So what's it like at the restaurant you're at then? Like describe to me the style of food you make and so our place is pretty so we're pub, it's a pub, and you can't forget that it's a pub. So uh, we do we do kind of two menus as such. We do um, we do an a la carte menu, which is a choice of start, a choice of main choice of dessert. But also we like we fire all the other bits in there. So you get canapes, you get like a little amuse bouche, you get pre-desserts, you get petitfours. So that's like six courses. Uh, we kind of do like a 10 course tasting menu. Um, everything on our menu is proper like hyper seasonal so everything is foraged farmed shot reared within a couple of miles of the kitchen so all our dairy excluding cheese all our cheese is british cheeses but like all our butter all our cream or our milk comes within about two miles of the restaurant wow uh, if we have gate if we have venison on it's generally being shot on the farm next door uh, all our lamb comes off the farm that literally backs onto the restaurant. All our beef comes off another farm in the village. So it's proper like local hacker seasonal kind of stuff. Uh, we do loads of foraging. Obviously, like fish. We're in the middle of Peak District. You don't get fish round and about. But we use Cornish. All our fish comes from either Cornwall or Scotland every day. So for us, it's about finding... For me, the main two things about local and is it the best. But we're really, really, really lucky that we have the best lamb and the best beef right on our doorstep. So unfortunately, if you're working in central London, if you're working in Mayfair in London, you're never going to be able to get beef from down the road because mm. it just happens. So we're really, really fortunate and lucky for like, being in Peter Street. We get so much local good stuff. Um, but then the style in itself is, I would say, kind of like British, British, classic British dishes, but elevated to a bit of a modern 
fine dining standard. And then I've got quite a few like French influences from when I was like younger working in different restaurants. So I say British French fine dining, but like pub base here at the minute, we've got a canopy on and it's a chicken wing. Oh, yeah. But it's, oh, never I... been, it's never been, a, it is obviously a chicken. So we, we get a chicken wing and we bone it out. So there's no bones inside the whole thing. And then we make black pudding and then we smoke the black pudding and then we stuff the chicken wing with the black pudding. And then we do, we like, we, um, we fry it in like a KFC style batter. Oh. And then we load the barbecue sauce and it's mashed chives that we've grown in the garden at work and some sesame seeds on it. So it's like proper pubby, but. That's literally made my mouth water. <laughs> That's good. It is good. That's kind of one of our signature things. So that's one of our canapes. We've got like a, we've got a take on, uh, we used to have a take on shepherd's pie on menu. We've had like Lancashire hot pot on menu, but like totally, diff- totally different, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's good. But, what's um, your, what's another signature dish then of you? Like if we had to think, Mark, what would you, what <coughs> dish? You know what? Everybody asks it. What is your signature dish? And to the fact, I don't, I wouldn't say I have one. So to me, what is the signature on the menu this week? I would say will be something with lamb and asparagus because it's been it's fresh this week. It's been it's off the farm this week. It's been picked this week, and we'll make something absolutely amazing with that. But I wouldn't say we have a go-to dish. If you know what I mean, because the seasons change all the time. So I wouldn't say I have one dish that I'm like, oh my god, that's like our signature dish because the signature dish to me is all about being the best. So it changes weekly, but the chicken wing kind of thing. It's something that it's it's always on because there's nothing in it that goes out of season, if you know what I mean. Chicken's mm-hmm. always in season, black pudding's always in season. Um barbecue sauce, preservatives. So it's good. We make a lot of the base for the barbecue sauce when stuff comes in season and we ferment it and and um, and like preserve it so we can make it all year as well. So we've done a lot of stuff at the minute with wild garlic, so we're preserving lots of wild garlic for the winter. Menus and stuff, so do, you, do, you have, do you have beehives? No, unfortunately, we don't just because I, I personally don't just because we don't have enough. Land. The only bit of land that I have on the restaurant backs onto the park, mm-hmm. and there's loads of kids on the park all the time. So I was like, probably not a good idea. But we do have we have honey on the when we have honey on the menu. Um, I've got a friend that comes in the restaurant and they've got beehives in the village. So when we have honey, it is from the village. That's good. That's really good. I think everything like local, that's what people want now that they're able to go out to restaurants again and COVID's kind of a thing of the past. Everyone's bothered about where the food comes from, aren't they? Like not necessarily becoming vegans, better for the environment, but buying something from your, your beef that's literally on the farm next door yeah. is, is probably better, if not the, the way to go. Um, so I mentioned in the intro that me and you both have CF. So why don't you tell me like how old you were when you were diagnosed? About two or three weeks. Really? What about you? Um, I was two and a bit. Really? Yeah, two and a bit, yeah. Oh, quite old, really. Too young to remember. Too young to remember, too old nowadays. You pile it up to being diagnosed? Not really. No, I just had quite a few like chest infections and on diagnosis. And back in my day, and probably it'd be the same for you, um, like it didn't CF wasn't picked up on the heel prick test. I knew I knew was that I knew that I was poorly when I was about three, four weeks old and I ended up in hospital. And the doctor the doctor 
Right, this is the bizarrest random thing of it. Apparently, I don't know whether or not it's my mum and dad winding me up, but this is legitimately true. They was waiting for the results to come back. From, and apparently, the doctor came in as a baby, and I must have just felt a nappy. And apparently, he smelt the nappy. And he said he said that it smelt really salty, and that's what CF, CF wheeze like. And he pretty much treated, started treating us from CF from that straight away. And I started being all right. And then they got the results back to say I've got CF like two days later. That's weird, but... Whether it's true or not, I don't know. Yeah, so, so like, growing up, so you're six years older than me. And as we were chatting, like, when um, we were arranging this podcast episode, like, in those six years, and, you know, quite a lot happened in terms of because you're that much older than me, the whole cross-infection thing and segregation was has always been in my life, but hasn't in yours. So, like, yeah, you know, yeah, in terms of... I think it all, so just as I, so when I was, so the way it was for me when I was little, I went to Rotherham's Children's Hospital for CF, and then when I got to 16, 17, you moved over to Sheffield Northern General. Mm-hmm. They've got a proper, like, adult centre there. But when you go, because it's been purpose-built for CF, there's not really a waiting room as such, so you kind of just go in and then everybody's in a room. So there, it was always going to be separate just because how it was. Yeah. But when I was little, I can remember sat play, I can remember sat in the waiting room playing with toys and stuff with all the other CF kids. Yeah. And then you push out you to go into the doctor, then you go and see the doctor, then you come out back into the waiting room, you go in and do your breathing, your blow test, and you come back into the waiting room, and then you go into a different room and see a dietitian and all that kind of stuff. And the, 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 the staff stayed where they are and the patients went into different rooms rather than now, it's the other way around, and you stay where you are and they come see you. That's mental. And I think like for listeners of this podcast that don't like understand the whole cross infection thing, it's that um, like the bacteria in my lungs, if it was to meet the bacteria in your lungs, they like have a have a party and just like infect each other. And because our lungs are like damaged, whereas other people like it's fine so I think it is it's the only condition and I think it's the only thing that's annoying is that you can't you've got like the the community but you can't ever you can't like just give someone a hug and be like oh you'll be all right or if you you know you can't you can't have that like do you know what I mean it's a bit of a weird a weird thing um so like growing up for you then what was life like with CF were you quite well I was never massively poorly so I can't I never had IVs or anything like that till I was about 16. I was always quite quite healthy. Um, never stayed in hospital. And then when I got to about 16, I was quite poorly a few times. Um, and then that's when I ended up having IVs and they gave us topomycin, which made us go half daft. Oh, really? Uh, that was a, that's a, that's a soft point. But yeah, they gave us topomycin three, three times. And it made me, it made me lose about half my hearing. Is that like a, a common side effect with? Massively. Really? Talk, talk, I've done some stuff. Um, I can't remember the abbreviation for it. It's, um, it's a research and body that's doing stuff with CF and different drugs. I was doing an interview with those the other day and they think they've, they were saying they've not got enough proper accurate data for it to prove it, but she thinks it's about 50% of people that have been given tobamycin with CF have got damaged hearing. Wow. That's... Yeah. 
I mean, there's always side effects to all the drugs that we've taken, like through the years. Like for me, growing up, I was quite well, um, like you, and then had like a major hit when I was in my second year at uni, and I ended up in hospital for like three and a bit weeks. Like my lung function, which is like what you obviously what can breathe out in a second, had dropped by like twenty. I know mine since being on Capture is the same as when I was fifteen. Yeah, I think mine's gone back to when I was like eight or nine years old. Um, but we'll go we'll go on to that actually after this question. So, what would you say is like the hardest part about having CF then? Because the whole point of this podcast going out today is it's CF week and we're raising awareness for that. So, what would you say is the hardest part about having CF? For me, as a as a as a young kid, it was kind of having other treatment before and after school. And kind of fitting everything in around school and kind of well, I happened to be mixed a half hour really because I needed all this kind of stuff before I'm going to bed and that kind of stuff. And then I would say as I got older, when I was like 16 and I ended up on Tobermycin and I ended up going half deaf, I then rebelled against pretty much every single medication for about three years, five years. Um, so I kind of was... The old Koreans, they work, and they work instantly, because if you don't have them, you know about it. Um, but there was lots of this, oh, you need to take this tablet and this tablet and this tablet, because in 10 years' time, it's going to make you feel better. Yeah, but three weeks ago, you said, if I take this, this, these antibiotics on IV, that I'll feel great, and you've actually made me go half deaf. So I think that, like there was a subconscious net for a long time, that they've given us all this stuff, and I don't feel any different whether or not I take it or not. What damage is it doing that we don't know about? I never think I saw, I never consciously thought it, but now as I've got older and a bit more sensible, that was definitely the reason why I stopped taking this stuff. It's got to have been. Now, um, as I've settled down and got a bit older and whatnot, I take everything now. Mm. But it's really, 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 really difficult to get back into the habit of taking stuff like really difficult it took me a long time to get in the habit of taking stuff I think like I've always been compliant and taken everything but I think now and we'll get on to calf trio in a moment but I do think that you know when you feel so well from that tablet and you do look at like your antibiotics you're on or your other stuff and you think is that necessary is that needed now um and I know what you mean, like sometimes sort of doing physio twice a day and it's just a bit, it's just a lot of effort before you even get into work that people don't realise. Um, so how, how do you sort of balance or juggle your CF and your work? Because obviously working as a head chef, that's so many hours of the day, and then your CF pair on top. So minute-wise, treatment-wise for me, uh, I have Mondays and Tuesdays off work, so they're my two chilly days as such, but I've been at work all day today to be fair. So Wednesday to Saturday, I work from 7, 8, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning until about midnight. So for me, it's kind of get up, go downstairs, get ready for work, have my tablets, go to work. Uh, I'm at work all day, and then when I get home, I have tablets at home, but I don't have nebs and stuff like that. No. Mm. And what... So obviously Calf Trio came about. Obviously, there's like 10% of people who still can't take it, so they don't know how it feels. 
but for you what was it like when you when you well what was it like one when you found out that you'd be able to have it and two the first day after you'd taken it I think for me when they said to us that I could have it I was just a bit like yeah well we've heard all this before do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. that kind of was like whatever and then um Alex bullied us into taking it so I kind of took it to keep her quiet I was like right she knows more about it than me let's take it let's see what happens and then I felt is she your girlfriend yes cool just for context of she's uh yeah so Alex but she's um she works at the hospital so she she runs all like um chemotherapy and end of life stuff so pretty switched on with the medicine and stuff so and she was the reason I started taking on my medication again it wasn't necessarily because I wanted to start taking it it was just not worth the hassle of not taking it so then I got back in the because of her I got back into the cycle of taking it and as I've got back into a really good cycle of taking it and that's when Keftro came out so for me whether or not I take two tablets or ten tablets it makes no difference because they're on the side and I just take them do you know what I mean so Keftro was really good. So I, I started on that. For the first month I was on Keftro, I felt terrible. I felt so, I don't know, achy. Do you know, like, you know if you don't go to the gym and then you start going to the gym mm-hmm. and you ache everywhere? Mm-hmm. It was like that for about a solid six weeks. Wow. And, and I just couldn't get my head around it. And I was like, I was talking to my doctor and he's like, Mm, I don't really get you. This is because you shouldn't be feeling like that. But then I think, what actually? And then after about six weeks, it kind of stopped. And I says, oh, I feel all right now. But I think what it was is, before Keftro, I'd take the dog out, but I'd kind of walk to the fa- up to the farm and then let him go for a wander around on his own. And I'd probably walk 300 yards there, 300 yards back. Because if I'd have gone any further, I'd have been knackered. Versus, I think, once I was on Keftro, it was, oh, actually, I think I've walked about seven miles. So yeah. I think so I think what the, the feeling crap and feeling tired and achy was probably more because I was doing loads of stuff that I wasn't doing before. And I was using muscles and energy that I weren't using before and building stuff back up. So I think that's why I was tired. But now I've been on, has it been about two years? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so I've been on it since it came out, and I do loads of stuff now that I'd have never dreamt of doing before. Like, even before, I used to be a bit tired, like, just walking upstairs and stuff like that, versus now I can go out for walks for a couple of miles, perfectly fine. I can I can go walking and go out on my bike, same as some of my mates that are fit and healthy. Well, exactly. And, and I think that, so when I took it, within a day, I felt like I could breathe so much more. Um yeah. And I did feel, I think actually, you know, people wrote diaries and that, and I didn't, I just took it. And it, and when I actually took the tablet the first time, it felt a bit like an anti-climax because I was a bit like, I'm waiting. But I yeah. think, I think because I felt better and I felt I had so much more energy, but I did feel a bit tired actually. And I think it was because my body was getting used to our lungs and our, on our cells working as they should do, you know, it all like, aligning and effectively having new lungs and things but no it it, I ran a half marathon a few months after starting it um and like you said like I can keep up with can keep up with like my boyfriend when we go on bike rides and 
and and stuff like that and I think it's like giving people like us the opportunity to to work and not be as tired and sort of plan plan the future we wanted with people as well because I'm not sure about you but did you ever kind of what was your outlook on on life beforehand I've always been before I left for the day Mm-hmm. So I find that I don't know. I've done loads of stuff at a young age, like I've been scared of having it, all that kind of stuff. And, and I've never really been scared to do anything because I'm like, what's the point? Do you know what I mean? Versus now, I bought a house. I bought a house just before Christmas. I'd have never done that before. No. What's the point? Yeah. I think I've always been very like positive and and just done what I can to stay well. But it's like with exercise now. It's, it's like, why do I need to exercise? Like my whole mentality on the reason I exercise because I'm not particularly body, I don't have particularly have body issues in terms of how I look. And I also, I know I'm not fat. So it's like, oh, why do you exercise then? So it's, it's, it's trying to figure out that reason. But yeah. the one thing Caftria has not done for me is it's never, like I've not had the weight, the weight gain. What? Like putting on weight. Ah, uh, okay. I've still struggle on that aspect, but I guess if I just explain briefly for like the people listening to the episode that Caftrio is the first drug that treats the root cause of cystic fibrosis, not the symptoms. So it it corrects everything at and everything at a molecular and cellular level, fixing the proteins, fixing all that clever stuff. I don't understand. Um, so our lungs effectively aren't CF lungs anymore, but they they still are in a way. It's really weird, and it's it's a new time, isn't it, for the doctors to figure yeah, out yeah. what to do? They're learning with us, I think. Yeah, definitely. I I just couldn't believe like how, like to be fair, when I went back to the hospital after like three weeks of being on it, I did my lung function test, and my lung function used to be about fifty percent on a good day. And it went up to like 75, 76 or something. And I was like, I think your machines are broken. Mm. Like, no, it isn't. I was like, honestly, you need to go and get another one. And I literally made them like calibrate the machine about three times. And she's like, it's still 75. It's 76 now, 74, 76. And she's like, you're in the high 70s. And I was like, from beginning, car, and I was like, machine's definitely still broke. I've just got bored of making them do it. And I, it literally, I couldn't get into my head that it got up to that that much difference do you know what I mean and then that was at the point I thought well actually you know what instead of walking to the field the first field to the gate and turning around I've actually been working like four fields and then not being tired and that was kind of like four weeks after that actually maybe that is right do you know what I mean it's meant it's absolutely mental um If we go back to like recently, you were a regional finalist in the Great British Menu. Well yeah. done. So, like, talk me through the the theme of that series, you know, of that competition, and what your menu was. So the theme for the Great British Menu this year was season seventeen, and they, it was a hundred years since uh, British broadcasting started. So it was nineteen twenty two when the BBC made their first radio transmission. Um, and the banquet was all about honouring a hundred years of banquet, um, hundred years of British broadcasting. Mm-hmm. So it was all about finding. There's two sides to it. You've got to do banging good food, but you've also got to get your your menu and your style to fit the theme for the banquet. Yep. So it was all around broadcasting, so you could have done. It was quite. It was quite a difficult, yet quite good subject to have. 
because there's so many things and I was really lucky. So we did, I was, I'm from Sheffield originally, Rotherham Sheffield, right, in Yorkshire. And our region is basically from the Scottish border, straight down the middle of the country to Sheffield and then all the way to the, to the East Coast. So for me, it's all about being local, seasonal kind of stuff. So it was about finding people that were from my region and my area and then doing dishes about them or their programmes. So we did Chuckle Brothers. Nice. Did you just watch Chuckle Brothers as a kid? I don't think I was born. You know, yeah, maybe, maybe I think it was just stopped being cool when I was little. But uh, I just watched, I watched Dick and Dom in the bungalow. That was me. Well, okay, yeah, it's just a few years before. So the Chuckle Brothers were from Rotherham, where I'm from. So that was quite good. And then we we started watching some of the programs, and there was one of the programs they went fishing, and they tried to catch a pike, and some trout was involved also that. So I was like, right, okay, fish dish. We can do that around Chuckle Brothers and we can we can base it on this episode. And the episode was called On Your Pike. So we called the dish On Your Pike. Um, and we did um, a smoked sea trial dish with uh, pike caviar and stuff. So that was quite good. And then we did the dessert. So Jessica Ellis Hill is from Sheffield. So she won the gold medal in the Olympics in London in 2012. So bang on 10 years ago now since she won. So we did a dessert. Uh, all dedicated to around her so she's half she's a quarter Jamaican I think um, so we were like right we need to do a dessert why don't Jessica Ellis what can we do so we looked we did like um, it was a you can get gold chocolate so it's the way they caramelise the cocoa beans and it gives it a golden colour and it's a bit like caramelly tasting so we decided I decided I was going to use that and then I was like right, how can we make it visually look something to do with the Olympics. So we, we got a piece of AstroTurf and a, a clear glass plate. And then I had a mold made that looked like a medal. And then we got, uh, I tempered some chocolate from the top and then we stamped the top into a gold medal. So it visually looked like a, a gold medal. And as you broke into it, there was all different layers of different things inside. So we did like, um, like a blueberry, a sour blueberry compote in the centre, but we cooked them through with Jamaican spice rum. Mm-hmm. And affect some of the Jamaican heritage into it, and it was all about like celebrating um, the 2012 Olympics that we saw on TV, and like it was one of those massive things that fetched everybody together to watch as a family. So that was quite a big thing in the broadcasting. So I did that dish. Um, last other day, we did a, a takeaway version of like Ant Saturday night takeaway. So that mm-hmm. was all like little lamb off farm and stuff. That was good. But the the main thing was the was the Jessica Hill dessert. That was good. So do you, as a chef, when you go on, do you get paid for it or no? What was what was the experience like then, like with the filming and that? Was it quite stressful? So it was, I got asked, I got asked if I was interested in doing it last year. And I kind of thought, it was someone taking the test, to be honest. Because I was like, I was on the phone to him. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, funny, sure, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, no, really, this is a serious, I'm, I'm the producer. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I've just seen a pig fly across the kitchen. And I generally thought it was one of the guys from work trying to have a wind up because we'd been talking about it a couple of days before. And then she emailed me, I was like, oh, this is legit. So I got to talking to it. And then we did like, you do like a, a Zoom um, interview type thing. Um, and then she rang me to say like, you've been, you've been selected to represent Northeast. So I was like, oh, okay. And then you find out what your 
um, you find out what the banquet theme is. So this year is 100 years of British broadcasting. Um, and then you get a couple of weeks to put your dishes together and your props and your ideas and you have to submit it all to them. And then they okay it. And then you get your filming week. So we started filming for it. I mean, it was there filming for about a week and a bit. Um, but the actual filming, like before Great Rift Menu, it used to creep me out and it used to cringe me having my photo taken for like with my friends. So like literally going from like, it freaked me out of my photo, literally my mates in a pop to there's 15 cameramen here with a camera on my face. This is like so bizarre. And I'm like, the first day we got there was just like photos all day. And after that, you kind of just get used to it. And it's like, you get you get talking to you, you like have your own camera crew. So you just get talking to them. And they're all really, the crew at Great Bishman you know, were absolutely fantastic. They were so nice. Um, so after like two days, it kind of just, I mean, it was just like they were there, if you know what I mean. You didn't really see it as a camera, you just kind of stood talking to people. But like the pressure of the whole Great British menu cooking was like something I've never ever experienced in my life. I don't generally get stressed at all. Nothing generally stresses me. Everything's like, it is what it is. There's nothing you can change, is there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got that. And honestly, I felt so ill when I got there. I was like cooking against like other top, top chefs in a kitchen that I've never been in before. So that was, I think for me, what was difficult about it as well, apart from the stress of cooking against other people, it was my restaurant kitchen is all gas. Their kitchen is all induction. So I've never, really, apart from, I've got induction at home, but it's nothing like commercial induction cookers. So for me, it was getting used to cooking on induction. That, that was difficult. That was a day. Um, half deaf and a lip read. So... It was still in COVID times when we were filming. So a lot of the crew had got like, all the crew had to wear masks. So it was, again, it was really lucky. A couple of the crew went out and got like clear masks to try and help and stuff. So that was really good. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Obviously, with the pandemic, it was harder for sort of deaf people. With that transition when you had your tobermycin, how, how did you deal with that? Because that's, you know, you've not been born deaf. Have you le- had to learn sign language or what was that transition? And yeah, kind so like, oh, me and you talking on here. Like, if you put your head behind the black thing when we're talking, I've probably got no idea what you're saying. So like, no, on here, speakers are decent, it's quiet, and, I can, and the connection's good enough that it's live, if you know what I mean. So I can <laughs> see what you're saying, that's fine. But like, when I was 16, 17, and I went deaf overnight, pretty much with a toby, I literally, every two minutes, I'd be like, what? What did you say? I can't hear you. And it probably took me a good five, six years to be able to, to be able to lip read well enough to be all right, if you know what I mean. Um, I used to obviously like, I used to love going out with my mates and stuff. I, I just stopped bothering because I thought, we'd go to a pub and stuff and I couldn't have a conversation with them because I'd just be like, what all the time? And it just annoys them because they're repeating themselves. I feel a moron because I'm saying what? Uh, but now I'm generally all right. Most of the time I'm all right. So certain certain accents I struggle with. Like if you've got a really strong Scouse accent, I'd struggle. <laughs> or like certain foreign accents, so like French is difficult sometimes. Um, certain pitches of voice, so high-pitched people, I can generally hear better than low-pitched people. Um, just to do with where the hearing's been damaged, if you know what I mean. 
Um, I find it more difficult to hear, uh, to have a conversation with someone that's got a massive beard because people think lip reading is purely your lips, but it's not. It comes from the whole face. So if you're covered in a beard like here, it's quite difficult to lip read. But generally now, I'm all right. The way I've got the kitchen at work, I've laid out the kitchen so the pass is in the centre where I work. Um, I've got like a pastry chef facing that way, sous chefs that way, different people, so I can see everybody's face. Mm-hmm. So they're talking, I can see them. So these days, yeah, it's rubbish. There's certain things like, if you rang me on the phone, I wouldn't have a clue what you were saying because I can't hear you. I can hear you, but I need the lip reading to kind of back it up, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like TV. If I watch TV, we'll have subtitles on. And if I turn subtitles off, I can't hear what they're saying. But if I turn subtitles on, I don't think I'm reading them, but it's just there as a glance to kind of like clarify what's being said. Yeah. Those days, I'm not too bad to the fair, but it's took a long time and a lot of effort to be able to learn them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. So like at the end of a really hard day at work when you've kind of finished cooking for everyone else, what's your go-to to cook yourself for tea? To go cook for self at home. Hmm. I, I don't cook that much at home, if I'm honest with you. Partly because we're in the middle of ripping the house out. Um, but I do enjoy cooking at home. If I was cooking at home, I'd probably say like something like with fire. So like some kind of barbecue type thing. Cook, cook outside, sit outside, have a beer, nice barbecue, some nice meat, that kind of stuff. Um, we eat a lot of rice as well, like rice. Um, so like pile, like making a good, good pile at home stuff. Yeah. Good seafood pile at home. Bang. Cool. It's a different style to restaurant food, do you know what I mean? You're never going to eat, I'd never start whipping a 10 class tasting menu up at home, do you know what I mean? <laughs> There's way too many parts to start with. So, and it's that thing like you, the equipment that we have at work, we don't have at home. Yeah. So like, and I just, it's that thing like I don't have my knives at home and stuff like that. So at home, a good, a good cook for me at home would be a nice barbecue, cooking on fire, some nice steaks or something, uh, or a good pile or something like that. So what's next for you? Like, what, what are your plans for the future now? You know, so now that... It was bizarre. So when I was little, I was kind of brought up with CF as the death penalty by 30. And mm-hmm. I'm 30. And I'm all right. So I kind of had my list of what I wanted to do. And I've, I've pretty much done most of it. So it was like, I've always like, well, I want, I want a couple of nice fast cars, nice motorbike, done that. I always wanted my own restaurant. I've done that. I've always kind of been like, I want to to do like rooms and make it into like a bit of a hotel or most kind of stuff. So we've just finished doing all that kind of stuff. Um, Great British menu was always something like that. I was like, that'll be awesome, but it's never going to happen. So that was on the bonus list. So for me, work-wise at the minute, I would probably say the next big thing for us is, and it, and GBM has really helped was for us, like what kind of, it's not a nightmare, but there's other restaurants that have got massive recognition locally off like AA and different things like that. And we don't have that. So for me, it'd be nice to just have some like, nice recognition off like AA and Mitchell and that kind of stuff um, and I think Great Bish Menu definitely put us on the kind of the right path for life you know what I mean everybody's heard of us like we ha- this is so bizarre we had a guy at the weekend 
And uh, he said to the restaurant manager, it's, it's Mark in the kitchen, I'd love to talk to him. So he was like, yeah, if we're open, he's here. So if I'm off, say I want to go on holiday, I will shut the restaurant. Um, so if I'm in the if we're open, I'm in the kitchen. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, talking to him. I know talking to him. He's got a really strong American accent. I was like, oh, are you, have you lived around here much? He's like, no, we watched, me and my wife watched Great British Menu in, uh, in the America. So we decided to come here. I was like, what? So he's like, yeah, yeah, we've flown over from Nashville to, to Manchester. And we're, we're, we've made a holiday out of it. But the prime thing for the holiday was coming here. Wow. Like, mind blowing for me. You know what I mean? It's like so bizarre. We've had people come from all over the country. For for food since Great British Menu, so it's been it's really really nice to have like some kind of like recognition for do you know all the hard work and sacrifice we've put in for the last like lifetime. It's kind of really nice to have that kind of recognition now. People coming from all over and just generally like enjoying our food and what we're doing, um, which has been amazing. So we've had a couple of proposals at work. We've had all sorts. Of, yeah, it's, it's nice. So, um. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast to chat to yeah. chat with me today. Thank you for coming on, chatting yeah, with me all about it all. Hope you've enjoyed the vibe. Yeah, thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire Lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at from a Lancashire Lass.